Okay, open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 17. We're continuing in a series called First Followers, where we're learning from the first followers of Jesus what it means to follow Christ. And the story of Acts is just that. It's the acts of uh, those first followers of Jesus. And really what we could say, it's the acts of Jesus through his first followers. You know, church, it's one thing to be told to believe something. No dialogue, no questions, no explanation. It's another to have something explained to you. Be able to ask questions and examine it for yourself, right? Well, the story of Jesus has been explained for thousands of years with reason and proof and thoughtful dialogue. For thousands of years, this is how the story of Jesus has been communicated. And now it's our turn. It's our turn to listen. It's our turn to explain. It's our turn to come alongside others as they examine the scriptures. It's our turn to explain Jesus from the scriptures. And in Acts 17, the first half of Acts 17, that's exactly what we see happening. Paul is explaining from the scriptures who Jesus is, and some are persuaded. Some are persuaded that this message they hear about Jesus is actually what they were hoping for. Everything they were hoping for. And others actually believe that it's messing with everything. That this story about Jesus just messes with everything. So which is it? Could both be true? Let's read. Acts 17, beginning in verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews Specifically, the religious leaders of the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to uh, to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help drive the truths of 
of this section of Scripture deep into our hearts. We pray we would engage it with everything in us, that we would receive all that you have for us by your Spirit, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things I pray, church, that we see this morning. First question is, are you ready to explain Jesus from the Scriptures? Number two, it messes with everything, exclamation point. And number three, another question, are you willing to examine Jesus in the scriptures and come alongside others as they do the same? Number one, are you ready to explain Jesus from the scriptures? So Paul, Silas, and Timothy were following the famous Roman highway called the Ignatian Way and eventually came to that influential city of Thessalonica. It was the capital city of the Roman province of Macedonia. This is a strategic city. And Paul did what he normally did in any city that had a synagogue. It was his custom. He speaks to Jews and Gentiles who uh, are embracing Judaism. These are God-fearers. These are people who believed in the God of Abraham. They were not polytheists. They were not pluralists. But they looked to the scriptures as their authority. And they were living in expectation and in anticipation of the coming Messiah. The coming anointed one. The promised one of God who will deliver them and rescue them, the divine king, all right? This king who would reign forever in might and in power and in justice. That's what the Jews are hoping for and the God-fearing Greeks who are worshiping with them. And these are who Paul is ministering to. And as he meets with them over a three-week period of time in their synagogue, what does he do? What does, he, what does it say he, he does? He reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ, this Messiah, the anointed one, the king, to suffer and to rise from the dead. It was necessary. This is what he's saying. And it says he, he reasoned. Literally, this word means say it thoroughly. Enter discussion. It could involve argument, exhortation. It definitely involved hearing objections and answering questions. It definitely involved interpreting Scripture, opening up the Scriptures, and, and inviting others to see what they say, what they're about. And this is what Paul did for three weeks straight. He reasoned, he, he explained, he proved, he proclaimed. It's important for us to know that the Jews, they, they resisted the idea that the Messiah would have to suffer. It just isn't the way they wanted to understand the story of Israel. You know, when you tell yourself something long enough, when you tell yourself how something has to take place, it really is hard to see it any other way. It really is. And when it says that he explained, the idea is that he, as I said, he opened up the scriptures, much like Jesus did in Luke 24. Do you remember the encounter that Jesus had with those on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? In Luke 24, it says in verse uh, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he opened the scriptures up to those on the road to Emmaus, these disciples who had believed like this was the end. Our, 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 the one we had hoped in, he's dead. And Jesus appears to them and he opens up the scriptures beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Beautiful. And then in verse 32 of that same chapter in Luke 24, it says, they, they said to each other after Jesus had, had departed, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us 
Our hearts were burning within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. Their hearts were just coming alive. And that's what Paul's doing in Acts 17. He's opening the scriptures up. And some, their hearts start to stir. Their hearts start to come alive. It's beautiful. He explained from the scriptures that it was necessary for Messiah to suffer, die, and be raised to life. In other words, it had to happen this way. And what he's saying is that it's just, it fits with what the prophets have been saying, the prophets of old. It fits with what the scriptures have been saying. It fits with the storyline of Israel, the storyline of the Bible. It is God's plan of redemption and forgiveness and reconciliation foreshadowed in the scriptures, planned by God. And it might be hard to grasp, but that doesn't mean that it isn't true. And so he's explaining and he's reasoning. And I'm sure that he leaned on a lot of passages over the three-week period of time. He probably talked about Genesis 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac, or maybe Psalm 22, that psalm that, that Jesus himself was quoting as he died on the cross, or Isaiah 53, which speaks of the suffering servant 700 years before Jesus and finds fulfillment in Jesus, and there were many more. He's proving, it says, literally carefully answering questions. He's responding to objections. He's demonstrating the validity of his claims, and it involved careful and thoughtful examination of the scriptures. He didn't come in with this purely emotional appeal, right? He didn't try to win them over with entertainment or eloquence. He didn't want them to be just duped or tricked into believing something. And it's important for us to know. It wasn't only this open-ended dialogue. He, he had a goal. Paul's goal was to persuade them, to convince them. He wanted them to believe. I mean, of course he did. We do. As people come in here who don't know Jesus as Savior, as a rescuer, maybe that's you this morning, and it's, it's, it's amazing that you would be with us and that you would listen and hear what we believe is true about Jesus. But it's our desire that you would see Jesus for who he really is and put your faith and hope and trust in him. This desire to persuade or convince, some might see it as an expression of intolerance maybe even an expression of disrespect. How could you step into a space where they believe something else and you come in and say, no, this is the truth? It's really an expression of love. Truly, an expression of love and grace. He explained, but he also proclaimed. He announced. He brought them to the glorious conclusion of the things he explained, which is what? This Jesus, who I'm describing to you, is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited king that you've been anticipating. For us, it's not a synagogue, but it's a coffee shop. It's a campus. It's sitting across our dining room table. It's a conversation on the sidewalk in our neighborhood. Many have been raised in an atmosphere where they they were told, they were told to believe something. No dialogue, no questions, no explanation. Maybe that's you. Maybe you were raised, you were just told to believe something. And you bought it for a while, but then you started pushing back as you grew, you grew older, and it's like, what is this about? Is this just custom? Is this just what our family does? Am I embracing this because I, I was just told to all my life? 
And those are good questions to ask. Maybe, maybe you never really explored who Jesus is and why he had to suffer, why he had to die and be raised to life and what it means for you. And there are many in our city who have never done that, never really explored those truths. They've never thought through what it means uh, for their lives personally to say that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, the Christ. Christ is a title. It means Messiah. Greek for uh, Christ is, is, is the Greek Messiah, the Hebrew, it means anointed one, the king, the long-awaited-for king, the promised rescuer, deliverer, who will right every wrong, who will bring freedom and deliverance. There are many who have more of a pluralistic approach, kind of a soupy spirituality that looks like a combination of beliefs. Now, that was Thessalonica. There was a lot going on in Thessalonica, a lot of idols, surrounding them a lot of different beliefs kind of melting into one a plura, uh, this this pluralistic vibe others in our culture maybe are more standoffish to spiritual things they don't know where to start they don't know where to start when it comes to exploring god god is more of a generic word than anything but church it's our turn It is our turn to explain and proclaim Jesus from the scriptures. It's our turn to explain why this world is so jacked up and what people are actually created to be and how people can be right before God. It's our turn. Paul and Silas had their day in Thessalonica. We're not in Thessalonica. We're in the city of St. Petersburg. And so now it's our turn to sit in the coffee shop to go to the campus, to speak to our friends in our neighborhood, to talk to them, and to speak of Jesus from the scriptures, to bring people by the hand to the scriptures, to be prepared, as Peter says, to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason, for the hope that is in you, and to do so with gentleness and respect. So will we? Will we take the time? It's going to require time. Please don't wait for someone else to do this. Please don't wait until you feel like an expert to do this. You'll never do it. (laughs) If you wait until you feel qualified, you'll never do it. We've got to begin somewhere. Will we give people our full attention? Or will we remain bothered by what other people believe or threatened by what other people believe? So much so we don't engage. What do we have to lose? Other people's belief doesn't, it shouldn't threaten What we believe is true of Jesus. It doesn't change anything. I can sit and I can listen and I can engage and I can hear objections and questions and not be threatened by it at all. In fact, I can learn a lot about what that person believes and respect that person, but engage them nonetheless and help them to see what I'm leaning on, what my authority is. This isn't me. This is my authority is scripture. I'm looking to what God has provided I want to show you who Jesus is. Have you read? Have you seen? When we reason with others from the scriptures, we show them this is bigger than us. And that we're submitted to something outside of ourselves. We're not our own authority. And that it's completely trustworthy. And so are we willing to do the hard but rewarding work of listening to questions, of answering objections, of pointing others to the scriptures? Who else is going to do this if we don't? So will local church St. Pete be a place for people of every walk of life, no matter 
no matter what, no matter where they come from, no matter what they embrace, to hear about Jesus this way. Second, it messes with everything. It really does. In verse 4, we see what happens after Paul took time to explain and reason and, and, and prove who Jesus really is through the scriptures. In verse 4, it says that uh, some were persuaded and they joined them. It, they believed, they embraced the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. Literally, they followed as disciples is what this word joined means. A church was born. A church was born from every social class, Jews and devout Greeks, and it says leading women or high-ranking, uh, influential uh, women of high class. So from every, every area within society, people had embraced Jesus. And the Jews were jealous. The religious leaders were losing it. They actually were afraid of losing power and influence. They were jealous. And they found some punks in the city, people just hanging out, doing nothing, looking for trouble, and they formed a mob. And the entire city is in an uproar. Now, I just pause for a moment. We read this, and we're just like, you know, we might be doing our, our own time of Bible reading, devotions in the morning, sipping on our coffee, and reading about a riot. And it's, we're just so disconnected. We're not in the riot. But imagine you're in the riot. Imagine, like, the whole city is in an uproar. People throwing stuff. People yelling. People looking for, like, something... Uh, someone to do something about this crazy talk about Jesus, this other king. And so they, they try to find Paul and Silas. They can't find him, so they drag this guy named Jason out of his house who is associated with them. Is he a host to Paul and Silas? Was he actually uh, probably a disciple of Jesus through the preaching of Paul and Silas and, and, and now maybe even hosting the church there in his home? They find Jason. We're introduced to Jason. This guy Jason is part of the church of Thessalonica. So now we have names of people who are in this church. And they drag him out and they bring him before the authorities. It's scary. Their first accusation could be found in verses 6 and 7. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What are they saying? These men who are causing trouble everywhere. It's what it really means. They've turned the world upside down. They're causing trouble everywhere. Or how I would say it, they're messing with everything. These men who've been messing with everything, they're here now. And they're messing with everything here. It was a backhanded compliment, really. They didn't realize how true it was. The message about Jesus, it, it confronts. It disturbs. It shakes up. It messes with everything. It, it really does. Listen, can you remember a time when someone told you something you did not want to hear? Maybe you needed to hear it, a rebuke, an observation. As they're telling you, you're like looking down at your feet, kind of shuffling around, getting uncomfortable, getting a little angry. Done with the conversation. You good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You know you're not good. <laughs> you walk away. It's what you needed to hear and you know it. But it was hard. It was so hard. Can you remember a time when the truth about Jesus came at you that way? Offensive. Whew. What are you saying? What does this require of me? Our world is so unsettled. It's already upside down and broken. The message about Jesus turns a broken world right side up. 
It reveals false hopes and dreams for what they really are. It exposes lies that we've embraced. It challenges us to lay aside what won't satisfy. That's what it does. You know, we have a common bond with everyone on the planet. We're all looking for peace, pleasure, and happiness. I don't care who you are. All of us are looking for peace, pleasure, and happiness at some level. But so many are looking for it and trying to find it in the temporal. And it doesn't satisfy. They find it in, in one thing and then they move on to the next and they move on to the next and, and they know it doesn't satisfy. And so what happens is that we have this culture that's just staring despair in the face. They, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to find joy and peace and pleasure and happiness. We needed our worlds to be turned upside down. We need our worlds to be turned upside down by the truth of the gospel to shake us out of our false hopes and dreams and to expose lies that we've embraced and to challenge us to lay aside what won't satisfy. We still need that message to shake, shake us, to mess with everything. So that's the first accusation. The second accusation as they stand as Jason and friends are in front of these authorities is that they are acting against decrees of Caesar saying there's another king, Jesus. This is related to the first accusation. But what are they getting at? Historically, when you look at this, there was a Roman decree against predictions of the coming of a new king or kingdom, especially one that, might, that one might supplant or replace or judge the existing emperor. Some cities would actually offer oaths of loyalty to the emperor. The emperor was worshipped, deified. There were temples to the emperor. Thessalonica had close ties with Rome, and there's evidence of this imperial cult of emperor worship as the universal savior. The emperor is seen as the universal savior. So these are serious charges. Serious charges being brought against Jason and friends. They're speaking against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king. Another king? Immediate action is taken. Another king? Yes, another king. Jesus is Messiah. He is king. And he has a kingdom. And he is coming in judgment. That message doesn't, doesn't really feel right. It threatens. It upends. Of course it does. Jesus is going, the message of Jesus, is going to disrupt and completely upend our broken lives. Because Jesus has come to overthrow our self-run, self-governed lives. lives. Think about this. In the, the, the authorities of Thessalonica were all bent out of shape. They were threatened by the message of Jesus as king. And I will say, listen, um, at, when we really consider the reality of who Jesus is as king of our lives, that's a threatening message for, for most of us at some point in our lives. Until we bow to that message, it may be more of a threat than anything else. What do I have to give up? What does this mean? What are you calling me to? Is it better? It's about loyalty. It's about allegiance. This Christianity is not some back pocket religion that you can just kind of pull out. It's to be the center of our everything. And so it's going to mess with everything. Jesus, the Lord of our lives, to whom we bow our lives before and he shapes us. 
from money to sex to how we live our lives, how we treat one another, to how we reconcile in relationships, our hopes and our dreams. It's like the invasion of enemy-occupied territory. Jesus has come to take over what rightly belongs to him in the first place. And so out of concern for their own well-being, for the safety of this new church, Paul and Silas, they get out of town on the cover of night. Months later, it's interesting, uh, Paul sends Timothy back to check on their faith. He's concerned that, that these trials have just done the church in. He knows this, this is serious opposition and persecution. And Timothy delivers good news of their continued faith in Jesus. And out of joy for this young church, Paul writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians. I love 1 Thessalonians. If, if you go to Belong Here, it's the first session where we read through chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. And Paul celebrates how their, the gospel came to the Thessalonians with great conviction, and the power of the Holy Spirit. How they embrace the truth of who Jesus really is and how that message transformed their lives so much so that neighboring cities are saying how they turned away from idols and, and turned to serve the living and true God and to wait for Jesus from heaven. And so these other neighboring cities are reporting what the Thessalonians are actually doing and what they're embracing. It says that their faith was like a, like a, a noise that reverberated around the countryside, like, a, like the, a gong that's gone off that you can hear, like a trumpet blast. I love that. That's how Paul relates the Thessalonians' faith. Can that be said of us? Well, finally, number three, are you willing to examine Jesus in the Scriptures? They do get out of town, out of Thessalonica, and they go to Berea. And in Berea, they find that there are uh, people who are more noble. In other words, they are more open-minded and considerate. They do not riot. That's helpful. They received the word It says, with all eagerness, and examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. Is this for real? That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. All right, I hear what you're saying, but is this for real? Is this legit? I I hear what you're saying, but let me look for myself. I I hear you, but I want to see it. Have you done that yet? Have you looked for yourself? you can take my word for it, but, but look to the word. Look to the word. And that's what the Bereans did. They explored. They examined the scriptures. Now, I want to encourage you, if you've not done that, to do that. Look and see who Jesus is in the scriptures. Start with a gospel. I'd encourage you to read a gospel. Maybe the book of Mark or Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Any one of those will do. Uh, but read one of those gospels and see for yourself what Jesus proclaimed and what he did, what he claimed about himself. Go there. I want to encourage you, if you are someone who has embraced Christ for many years, it is time for us, or for not a long time at all, it's time for all of us, if you're a disciple of Jesus, to come alongside others as they examine the scriptures. Do you see? Do you see Jesus here? It's one of my favorite things to do is to sit with someone who's never read a gospel and just, just read through it with them. The wheels start spinning. They got all kinds of questions. They look like a deer in headlights at first. Like, what? Yeah. And by the time that we're done, a lot of questions have been answered. A lot more questions have stirred in their hearts. It's beautiful. We've been given an example to follow 
We've been given a strategy to adopt. There isn't a better one. Are we willing to proclaim Jesus from the scriptures and are we willing to come alongside others as they examine the scriptures? There's not a better strategy out there. Church, God has done something about humanity's brokenness and shame. He's done something about humanity's hurt and pain, the death and the separation before God. And it's what scripture has been shouting for thousands of years. It's what we've been longing for and it's going to mess with everything. It's going to mess with everything. It's calling us to loyalty and to allegiance. It's calling us to repent, to turn away from living with ourselves at the center as if we're our own authority, calling the shots and seeing that we were created to worship and know the living God and that he's provided a way for us to be reconciled to him through his son Jesus and to find hope and meaning and joy and peace and happiness in that relationship. So it's going to mess with everything, but that's exactly what we need it to do. Do you have vision for this? Do you have vision to share with others from the scriptures who Jesus is and why he had to suffer, die, and be raised to life? It's our turn. Paul and Silas had their day. The Thessalonians had their day. It's our day. It's our turn. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to be able to explore Scripture together. Thank you for the redeeming work of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the Savior. Thank you for what we see in Scripture and how it shapes us and continues to mess with us in a good way, turning our lives upside down, right side up. Lord, we, we look to you with eyes of faith and we pray that we now as a church would be desirous and, 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 and actually moving forward in, in bringing people to the scriptures, helping people see who you are in the face of Christ by leading people to the scriptures that we wouldn't be able to shake this, that we would see it's a privilege of ours, that it's been given to us and that you empower us to do it. Help us, Lord. Lord, you know it's been my prayer if there's anyone here today who has been maybe examining who you are and looking into Jesus, Lord, draw them near. Draw them near, even this morning. Help them to embrace and to have faith today, to repent, to turn away from themselves and look to you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.